Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right, good morning, guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I want to say a special thank you also to Blair for leading us today. Blair just showed up like a couple months ago, and now this is entirely Blair Church. So uh, thank you, guys. She's our Connect Director. Uh, Ray is uh, out for a funeral this weekend, and so uh, Blair stepped up. Super thankful for you for that. So today, uh, as we jump in, I want you to recognize that uh, we have a math problem to deal with. All right? So I hope you followed all of this. One landowner offers to pay one denarius for 11 hours of work. Then he goes out again, and he offers the same deal, one denarius for three hours, or for some folks, three hours in, then six hours in, then finally nine hours in, and then at the 11th hour, he pays them all the same amount. So the question is, what hour would the train arrive in Jerusalem? No, it's not like that, all right? Not that kind of math question. But basically, like, that's the weird idea here. The dudes who work the whole day are mad. They say, hey, Jesus, or hey, what gives? And Jesus says, verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the first will be last, or the last will be first and the first last. So what exactly is this? parable meant to tell us. Jesus very often told little parables like this, uh, and they were stories that sort of painted a bigger picture than just the actual, like, facts of the case, right? So what is this trying to tell us? You know, the first sort of, like, at first reading, you're like, all right, the the big lesson here is I want to be that guy that shows up at the ninth hour, you know? I want to work two hours a day and not actually have to work all the day. It sounds like, like, that would be, if that was the moral, that'd be like the Trump school of negotiating, you know? He'd be like, I call that smart, right? I'm sorry, I worked really hard on that Trump impression, and you guys did not even, like, really enjoy it. Wade told me not to do it, and I did it anyway, so uh, it's worth a shot. Anyway, um, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here, all right? Like, the clue is in the first verse. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's talking about something more than just, like, working for your wages, right? It's telling us something about the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is something that we talk about here at Dwell a lot. It means simply the recognized rule and reign of Jesus over everything. And so, on the one hand, you could say it's talking about heaven and eternal life and spending eternity with God, uh, but also it refers to just sort of like the order of things, the proper order of the universe, the way that God has set it up. It is both now and not yet, meaning that it is ushered in with Jesus' work on earth, but we won't fully experience it until his followers live eternal life with him. So with that in mind, if this is truly about the kingdom of heaven and not about just laborers in a field, I would suggest that this is how we would read this passage. The master is actually God. The labor is following Jesus, and the workers are us, human beings. A day, in this case, is actually a lifetime, and the payment is actually eternal life or being in God's kingdom. So with that in mind, let me hit those again. The master is God, the labor is following Jesus, the workers are us, and the day is a lifetime. The payment is eternal life. So if that's the case, let's sort of like rework this whole parable and think about it a little bit different. God goes out and hires us on. He brings us into his workforce. 
Some of us, he does when we are like little kids. Some of this, he does uh, when we're on our deathbeds. People can accept Jesus and start uh, participating in his kingdom at any point during their life. And the lesson here is actually then to just gratefully accept the gift that he gives to us. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, grace is bad math. Like, that's kind of what they're grappling with here. They're like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. This last guy just worked two hours. He should not get paid the same amount as this first guy. And Jesus is saying, that's actually how it works in my kingdom. Grace does not actually add up. This is a hallmark of Jesus, right? We, as human beings, typically want people who are like, who've done more wrong or maybe been like, you know, opposed to his kingdom longer or something like that. We want them to have to uh, do more or something like that. We won't, don't want them to get the same exact payment, but instead, Jesus does just the opposite. Richard T. France actually says, this, says it this way. He says, God's grace is not limited to our idea of fairness. His gifts are far beyond what we deserve. We see actually the same lesson in a story called The Prodigal Son. Uh, you may have heard it, and basically like two, a man has two sons. One goes off and squanders all of his wealth, burns it all, and then he comes back crawling back to the father who instantly forgives and welcomes him. And the older brother gets mad. It says this in Luke 15, 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, after these many years, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want us to recognize here that Jesus is telling us something in both of these stories, that his kingdom does not work very often the way that we think it should. I think we should just sort of like sit in that for a moment, right? That very often, especially when it pertains to someone else, we're clamoring for justice, right? We're like really, really glad for grace when it pertains to us. We're like, yeah, I need grace because I screwed up. And then something does, somebody does something wrong to us and they're like, you need justice. The right thing must be done here, right? And sometimes when Jesus actually chooses to step in and extend grace to us, like that grace just doesn't actually add up. And if that's true, then what do we need to do God to change us so that we might better understand how he wants to work in the world? For some of us today, the lesson is not to begrudge anyone else's journey. Everyone is on a different pathway to God. Now, obviously, God is the right end to that path and the only end, but it takes us, we take different routes to get there. God may have only forgiven you a little and had to forgive so much in someone else. But we have to remember that it only takes a little bit of sin to actually miss out on God's perfect plan for your life. The point is that selfishness and pride would make us bitter about someone else's journey with Jesus when instead we ought to be glad. Craig Blomberg from down the street says, But we are fools if we appeal to God for justice rather than grace, for in that case we'd all be damned. 
This actually reminds me of one time when I was like rafting as a teenager, and we had this chaperone with us, uh, and she just, uh, she was not like, you know, super into rafting. I think she was super into, you know, keeping kids in line or something, right? But she went anyway, bless her heart. Now that I'm older, I have more sympathy for her, but as a kid, I was like, why is this lady on a raft? We started like going up on this rock, right? And uh, our raft is like floating up there. And I'm telling you, like, we got like this much tilted, and she was just like, I'm out. And flipped out backwards like she was like, I'm not even going to try and hold on. I'm done with this. And I was like so mad. And we got stuck up on this rock. And then like the boat flipped over. We all got tossed out or whatever. And I get like, you know, back in the boat. And then we're pulling her back in and everything like that. And I expected the guide to share my frustration, right? I was like, he's going to be mad at her too. Like what a wimp. She just bailed out. And instead, uh, I was looking at our guide who was foolish enough for us to flip our raft, right? So that should tell you something about him as well. It's not a normal thing that happens in these very controlled teenager rafting environments, right? Uh, And yet, uh, when I looked at him, the face that he had was one of just pure relief. He was not frustrated at all. He was glad to have everyone back in the boat. I feel like this is exactly how Jesus feels when people come to know him. We're often the other people in the raft that are like, man, that guy getting back in the boat? I don't know about this. And Jesus is just glad to have us in there. This should change how we think about those who don't yet follow Jesus. And I think the lesson here, uh, for those of us who are following Jesus, the lesson as we look around at other people is that it's never too late for anyone. It's never too late, right? This is the lesson for the laborers who have earned their reward. I mean, really, if we are like actually the selfless people that we want to be, if we're actually like living a selfless life, wouldn't we be the people that have been working for 11 hours and see the guy that comes up and works for two and it's like, well... He paid me exactly what he promised he was going to pay me, and it's good for them that they got paid the exact same thing. Like, that's who we want to be, right? That's how we ought to look at people coming to know Jesus. We need to remember that it's never too late in the day. I would also add that maybe this idea of time is not just referring to actual time of someone's life, but it could be referring to their distance from Jesus. We can look at somebody and be like, man, that person would never come to know Jesus. They are, they're too far out there. They are too far gone. But that is not the truth that Jesus is sharing with us here in Scripture. It is never too late. Your friend is not too far gone. I actually uh, once knew a guy named Ryan. Some of you guys know him too. Um, and I've shared this story before. Um, but our lives like intersected in these multiple different kind of like ways. It was the strangest thing. I met him in New Orleans. Uh, I was getting my master's at seminary. He was getting his master's in philosophy at Tulane. Uh, we started hanging up. He grew up or hanging out. Uh, he grew up in this very like difficult relationship with his family. He had this like ultra religious father uh, that kind of like was abusive to him and harmful. Then he grew up, Ryan, and started like doing drugs and he got into a cult for a little while and he was doing all this just kind of crazy stuff. He was like all over the place, clearly had a difficult relationship as it came or it pertained to God. Uh, but we started working at the same coffee shop. We got to be friends. We got to have like serious and meaningful conversations. I actually shared the gospel with this guy like multiple times. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, I'm in seminary, right? I'm training up to be a pastor. I'm pretty impressive. So I'm going to share the gospel with this guy, and there'll be no way that he could ever refuse it. So this happens for six months, right? Maybe a year. Nothing happens. 
Then finally, uh, one day he decides he's going to go get his doctorate at UGA. And so I say, like, all right, uh, I'm going to help you move from New Orleans to UGA. That's about a nine-hour drive. I'm like, I'm shotgun in the truck. This guy is going to get a nine-hour gospel-sharing session. Who knows what is going to happen to him? I mean, you cannot escape this, right? So we go, I hop in the truck, uh, and nothing. No, nothing happens, actually. So I say farewell. I figure I'm never going to see this guy again. Uh, fast forward through time, we actually move here to Denver. And uh, one day, Ryan shows up, moves to Denver, shoots me a text and says, hey, man, I want to come over, um, you know, like, and let's have dinner or something like that. So we invite him over for dinner. Uh, he is absolutely, like, just high as a kite, like the most high I've ever seen a human individual before. It is like his uh, world is buffering, you know, like when you click a video and it's, like, has to load and stuff like that. Like, that's how it was. You were like, hey, Ryan, how do you like Denver? And he was like, It's good. It's good. And to him, like, you know, that was just, that was time. It didn't really, nothing happened, right? So anyway, I'm like, man, he's back in our lives, right? And he actually started hanging out with our core team uh, before we even launched well. We're, like, approaching launch day. I'm like, man, this guy's going to come to know Jesus. He's going to be a part of our team as we launch. We're going to, like, baptize him on launch Sunday. That's going to be amazing. So we're sharing the gospel with him, sharing the gospel with him. A week before launch, he actually comes to me, and he says, hey, uh, I'm moving uh, to Alabama, and uh, I think I'm going to peace out. And nothing happened. Didn't accept Jesus. Nothing. So uh, he moved to Alabama, then he moved to like seven other countries and states and planets. I mean, this guy was just all over the place, right? Uh, everything's going crazy. Uh, he's like in Europe for a little while, ghostwriting this lady's memoirs. Then he's teaching English in Bolivia, and then he has a girlfriend in Brazil. I mean, it's just all over the place, right? Uh, he finally finds himself in Mexico, and uh, then he loses his visa because it's in the middle of COVID, and he goes back, and he moves to Dallas, actually, and he takes his fallback job, which is always surprising to people. Uh, he was like an uh, aerospace engineer, so he's literally like a rocket scientist. That's what he would do in between all of these other things. He was like, oh, man, crap, I got to do this again. All right, fine. So he's doing that in Dallas, and he looks outside, and he sees uh, a church. This is the middle of COVID. This church was the only, like, people that he had seen. He's sitting in an office. He doesn't know anybody. Um, and he looks outside, and there's this church across the street, and he thinks to himself, the last time that I really experienced any real community was when I was a part of this core team for Dwell Church. So he walks into this church, and a few weeks later, accepts Jesus. A few weeks after that, gets baptized. Um, and then like a month after that, he actually, uh, he texts me, and he's like, hey, man, um, I'm coming through town. Can we come and stay with you? And uh, I was like, all right, that's fine, but who is we? So he like pops into our house in the middle of the night, introduces me to his wife, who's also the person that introduced him to Jesus. Um, and then uh, he actually sent me an email the other day. This is important for those of you guys who know Ryan. He has a cutest little baby now. I mean, all of these things that I thought were just like absolutely impossible for Ryan. Like if you had to pick, like was Ryan going to, uh, you know, be a meaningful part of a church in Montana and marry this very like godly woman and have this cute little baby? Or was he going to like run a hippie commune? I would have definitely chosen the latter right? And it's amazing, like, uh, what you don't actually see in that story is how, like, disappointed I was so many times. I was thinking to myself, like, man, I must be really bad at talking about Jesus if this guy won't accept. Like, clearly he needs Jesus. Why? Why, Jesus? Are you not actually rescuing him? This story that we're reading today, this parable, actually gives me some comfort in stories like that, because it parallels well exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus had a timeline for Ryan, and it wasn't my timeline. 
I actually have a friend uh, who talks about coming to know Jesus, and he says, uh, somebody shared the gospel with me one more time, which I think is like a beautiful idea. That very often we don't come to know Jesus just because somebody said, hey, you should try Jesus. And we're like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Now, very often Jesus has us on this journey where someone is telling us multiple times, someone is telling us in different ways. It's a reminder that it's not too late for anyone, for your friend, for your mother, for your brother, for your neighbor, whoever it is, it's not too late. You see, if we look at these relationships that we have with only human eyes, we walk up and we say, like, man, my neighbor could never come to know Jesus. They're into this thing. They like this. My friend, you know, I've heard all their reservations about coming to know Jesus. There's no way that they could ever accept. But the reality is no one is too far. They could have an upside-down cross tattoo and run an atheist blog, and that still doesn't make them too far for Jesus to reach. And they could also just be your friend. That person that you hang out with all the time, that person that you pray for, maybe you've shared the gospel with them once. It's not too late. I want you to know, too, that the other thing that this story tells us is that it's never too late for you. You really never know, you know, where everyone's coming from on a Sunday morning, even in a small, weird basement like ours. <clears throat> Maybe you came in here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, like, I don't think that God can actually reach me. I've done too much. I've gone too far. Maybe you're kind of like teasing out this whole Jesus thing, but you're thinking like, man, this is for people that are better than me, people who haven't done nearly as much stuff as I have, people who haven't pushed so far away from Jesus. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been. It doesn't matter what harm you've caused yourself or, your, or others. I mean, put yourself in this story today. You may be like sitting on a curb somewhere, just waiting. You don't know what to do. You've tried everything. Maybe you've even made some mistakes. Just tried to like live your life and do the best that you can. And in this story, the master comes and he sits beside you and he says, hey, you've tried working for this world long enough, haven't you? Like, has it really worked out? You say, no. Why don't you come and work for me, he says. And you take his hand, and the best part is that you don't really have to do anything. He does it all. He forgives you of your sins. He gives you eternal life. He gives you a reward that you could never possibly earn. He takes everything that separates you from God, all of your sin, all of your pain, all of the sorrow that you've experienced and that you've caused others, everything that stands between you and complete goodness and perfection, he takes it and he wipes it clean. He doesn't do the math on you. He actually just takes you and loves you and offers full and complete forgiveness. He actually takes the death and the punishment that you deserved, takes it on himself, and gives you the life eternal life with God that only he deserves. And all that you have to do is admit that you need him and then that you want him to do that for you and then accept this free gift of eternal life that he's offering to you. Turning from your old ways and turning towards him. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. 
Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.